0: Welcome to Step 1 Success Stories by Physio, Episode 7.
1: And then I made notes of all the questions that I got wrong, and I made a word document of that, and I got those printed out, and then I put them in my first aid, and my first aid kept getting larger and larger, and then I had to make several separate folders from my first aid with all my added notes in it. You're listening to Step 1 Success Stories by Physio, the playbook of those who dominated the USMLE. If you want to learn how to excel on step one and get into the residency of your choice, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join the thousands of others who have mastered step one concepts using physio.com.
2: Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. Today we interview Hanya Asman, who is an international medical graduate. And to help me with this interview, I'm here with my co-host, Rhett Thompson.
0: How's it going, man? So good. I love the weather outside for the time being, because there's blue sky. Let's hope it sticks for long enough for me to go outside and enjoy it. But anyways, I'm happy. Good,
2: <laughs> what about you? Ah, oh, same, man, I'm excited. It's a, it's a nice time of the year. The other day I was outside with my boys and we were walking in the front yard and we have this little tree in our front yard. It's probably about, I don't know, 10 feet tall, not very long branches. And I saw, I kept I kept on seeing this little bird just like fly away every time I'd walk outside and I was like, huh, I wonder if there's a nest in there. So I started looking around and sure enough, there <laughs> there was this little nest. It was like to the height of my head and I, I looked in there and there were three little blue eggs. I was like, wow, so cool. So I was showing my kids and they're really excited. And then about, uh, I don't know, a few days later, I checked again and they had hatched. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. These little ugly birds with like no feathers on them. <laughs> and uh, we've just been keeping an eye on them for the past few days and it's crazy how much they change over such a short period of time. I mean, these things are like an inch long just a few days ago, and now they've like tripled in size. It's crazy.
0: Interesting.
2: Ah, oh, that ugly little cute of those little <laughs> baby birds. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's been fun. And their mom hasn't abandoned them
0: yet, even though you've gotten so close all the time.
2: Yeah, she keeps flying back. I mean, we 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 keep our distance, but it's
0: fun. Cool. So today's guest, as Michael mentioned, is Hanya Osman. She's an international medical graduate, or IMG, and she went to medical school in Pakistan at a very prestigious school, actually, called King Edward Medical University. And what I found so interesting from this conversation was just how her background is so different from ours and, and a lot of those of the MD students here in the United States, but her experience is so similar. She has a lot of the same stresses and pressures and and really the same goals that all of us have, and and... It's so interesting to see how similar and, and how if you have to take step one, the fears and the experiences, it's all the same. And she dominated step one. And so she was just
2: really interesting to talk to and, and
0: you know, had fun conversations. So let's bring her on.
2: All right, Hanya, welcome to our show. We're super excited to have you here. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. Thank you for having me.
2: Awesome. So can you maybe uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you interested in medicine to start?
1: Well, I'm uh, basically an international medical graduate. I did my uh, medical education from Pakistan, and I'm originally from Pakistan. So, our medical education is five years. And what got me interested in medicine, I'm definitely not one of those people who say that. They were destined for medicine and they always wanted to be a doctor. My parents are actually both doctors. My father's a surgeon, and I feel like when you're surrounded by doctors, you tend to take them for granted. So, I never really thought about how. Being a doctor, how amazing it is. I did well in school. I was getting good scores. I was more interested in, to, in um, maths and physics than I was in biology. But I have aunts uh, who are doctors working in Ireland and South Africa. So I have like doctor family all over the place, all around the world. So they kind of encouraged me to consider medicine. And I thought about it. We don't have a lot of engineering opportunities in Pakistan, unfortunately. And medicine is definitely a more uh, safe field to go into. So that's literally how I decided to take my entry test, which is called MCAT, um, the same that it's called here. And I got into um, the top government university in the country, and that's how it started.
0: Awesome. So if I've got this correct, you got into King Edward Medical University? Yes. Is that right? Awesome.
1: Yeah. So that's actually, this, was, uh, this is like the oldest medical university in the country, and it was established by the British when the Indian subcontinent was a colony. So it's, it's an old university, um, has a lot of history, and it's quite prestigious. However, um, the, the education aspect of it was underwhelming. I went to a private school before that, and um, I did something called O-levels and A-levels, ordinary levels and advanced levels. I'm sure you're not familiar with the with that, but it, these are degrees offered by the University of Cambridge in England, and these are international degrees, kind of like equivalent to high schools uh, here. So those are excellent um, degrees, and we had a really good education in in our school. So I was kind of expecting something really top notch. Unfortunately, our institutes still follow a very traditional method of teaching, extremely traditional, <laughs> and so. It was a bit underwhelming initially when my first year. I, I had a lot of you know, difficulty adjusting. Our exams were also very different. They are all uh, they were all like long, you know, long questions, essay sort of questions, and I was not used to that at all. So it took a while to kind of get adjusted to that whole environment.
2: And, and just so we understand. So is this the medical school that you're talking about or the school prior to medical school? No,
1: the medical school was underwhelming. Before that, my my school education was excellent because, like I said, the, the degrees I, I have, the O-levels and A-levels, they're offered by the University of Cambridge. So they're internationally recognized degrees and they're excellent. They're very, you know, up to date with the latest advancements. And they really work on, you know, um, developing your creativity and your critical thinking, which... I hoped would continue in my medical school, but unfortunately, it's more about learning vast amounts of information. For example, there is a huge emphasis on gross gross anatomy, which I absolutely despised. It was my worst subject. But we we study gross anatomy for two years. The first two years, we have anatomy, biochemistry, and and physiology. So two years, that's all we study. Anatomy also includes histology, which I much preferred over gross anatomy. But we have cadavers. We used to go every day into the dissection lab, and it was Personally I hated it but physiology was definitely interesting and then third year we do um pathology general pathology and we do forensic medicine which is weird but we had like a forensic department and we had to like you know watch autopsies which was very gross and disturbing and I'm not sure how that was related to medicine but it was just we had a huge forensic department and they wanted to somehow put that into into our medical curriculum and we also had um community medicine which is kind of which is also which should be you know relevant It's like public health, but again, a very traditional kind of system of education. It's not something that most people in the U.S. would relate to. But I would say like my parents, the way they studied like 30 years ago in their medical college, I would say that hasn't really changed. And so that's not a very good thing at all. Yeah.
2: Okay. Interesting. So it sounds like before getting into medical school, you had really good experiences, really good education. And then once you got into this prestigious medical school, it was kind of underwhelming for you.
1: Yes. I mean, our our teachers were excellent. Some of them were very excellent, but they're, some of our teachers, they're too set in their ways and they don't really want to change. They're like, this is the way this has always been. So we're not going to change anything. It took a lot of pressure from the students to change the exam system a little bit, uh, but it's still not quite there yet. But hopefully in the, in the upcoming years, we'll see some definitive change, but. So we had some really good clinical, the clinical years, which is um, from third year onwards, third year, fourth year and fifth year. Those are much better, especially we we got to do ophthalmology, which was one of my favorite rotations. Unfortunately, um, ophthalmology is obscenely um, competitive here in the U.S. There's no way an IMG can ever get in. I've never heard of any cases of IMGs getting into ophthalmo- ophthalmology. Otherwise, I definitely would have considered that. But uh, surgery, medicine, those are good rotations. So the clinical side was good. We have a huge hospital we have the sixth largest population in the world. So you can imagine the patient turnover. It's a government hospital, free healthcare. So patients are coming in by the hundreds, literally. So you see a lot of patients, very interesting cases that you probably wouldn't see elsewhere. But the patient load is very immense.
0: Wow. It so it sounds like your experience in many ways is is different, but ultimately you were able to just thrive. I don't wanna I don't wanna kind of insert my my own um assessment of what you're telling us, but it sounds like your, your whole experience of medical school was different than you expected, although you've done really well up to this point and succeeded through all of it and, and obviously became very proficient and knowledgeable in all of the material to the level that anybody in the world would need to know and, and by our standards be extremely uh, competitive applicant considering your board score. Before we go to, into that, I just wanted to know what brought you to the United States.
1: My marriage brought me to the United States. I would never have come here otherwise, I think. My husband's a dentist. He graduated from Rutgers University. So we got married when I was in medical school and he was in dental school in New Jersey. We had a long distance relationship for a while. And then eventually, once I finished my my medical school and I passed my exams, then I moved here to be with him. So that is largely why I came here.
2: So... To be honest with you, Rhett and I don't know a lot about the experience of international graduate students. And so I'm just curious. I've heard it's really hard and there are a lot of obstacles to getting here. So can you maybe talk about that for a minute and just some of the obstacles that you face in coming here and trying to get into a residency?
1: I think primarily one of the biggest obstacles right now, especially in the post-Trump era, is getting a visa. I know people who have given all of their steps, who have interview calls, but they don't have a visa. They don't get a visa to go attend their interviews, which is probably the most horrific thing that can happen to anybody. But I've been lucky in that aspect that my husband's a citizen, so I haven't had issues. You know, I have a green card and everything. But another thing is that IMGs really need clinical experience here. And if you haven't given step one, which I hadn't in in my within during my school it's very hard to get good rotations here if you have given your step 1 during your medical school you can get rotations very easily in places like cleveland clinic mayo clinic even you know good places but that's if you're you're somehow managing to balance your school studies with your step studies which can be very difficult it was very difficult for me i did try in my final year but i was involved in a lot of extracurriculars which in hindsight maybe i should not have been but i was president of the english literary society so that took up a large part of my time. And then, you know, you have your rotations, which are very brutal in final year. So it wasn't possible for me to do that. But another thing is IMGs, they have this perception that they need to score in their two, in the 260. So that's their goal. And they take a very long amount of time to study for the step exams. I told someone recently who was studying for step exams who was an older graduate than me, I graduated last year, that I took like four months maybe to study, and he was absolutely shocked. He thought someone um, studying for STEPS should take on average one year to study for it, which is, uh, in the current situation, it's getting extremely competitive. STEPS scores are rising, the averages are rising. So your year of graduation really matters now. I think preferably within two, maximum three years of graduation, you need to apply to a residency. Otherwise, after that, you know, your chances get slimmer and slimmer. So that's another thing. And also, I think um, finance is, a lot, is also a huge issue. A lot of IMGs, it's very difficult. A lot of the, a lot of the rotations are um, paid. They can charge up to starting from, I think, 3000 to $4,000 for a month long rotation. And they can go up to six to $7,000 depending where you're rotating. So that's another thing. That can be very difficult for IMGs.
0: Okay, so let me just clarify. These are rotations that you need to do in order to get your clinical experience here in the United States? Yeah. Those are costly. Those are what's costing like the up to seven grand per rotation. They
1: can, yes. If if you've given step one, you can get pre-rotations, but again, you need to give step one within your medical, before you graduate. So you apply for rotations before you graduate, yeah.
2: Interesting. So some IMGs will take step one during medical school, while others will take it like right after they graduate. Is that is that fair to say? Okay. And you, when did you take step one in the mix of all this?
1: So I graduated last year and I came here. I took a, like a few months to kind of settle in, you know, and living by myself is my first time. And then I did a few rotations. I volunteered for a bit in my local community. And then I started studying around the end of November, December, and I gave my step one this April, end of April.
2: Okay, so just recently.
1: Yes, just recently.
2: Awesome. So it's all
0: fresh and uh, you've got all these basic science and step one material in your mind. Uh, Yes. So at what point did you decide that you were going to take step one and that you were going to come practice in the United States?
1: Well, when my husband and I got engaged, I knew that because he planned to settle here, I knew that one day I would have to take step one, but I didn't really uh, study for it as proactively during my um, early years of medical school as I should have probably. But it was very difficult for me to manage everything simultaneously. Some people are able to do that. I wasn't. But I knew pretty much in my second to third year that I, I would eventually one day have to take these exams.
2: Was that scary for you to to think about that? Were you nervous? Or can you walk us through kind of your thought process and how you were feeling emotionally about about this big step?
1: It is definitely very nerve wracking. I think in a way, until you actually sit down in your de- dedicated study period and start studying for it, you don't really realize how difficult of an exam it is. Because you've know, given so many exams throughout your life, you're like, oh, it's just in another exam. How bad can it be, really? And when I started st- studying, I thought I could use like standard textbooks. I was like, oh, I'm going to use textbooks to study for step one because I'm a good student. I can do this. But you soon realize that that is a very stupid idea and it's a complete waste of time. But this is literally how I started studying and I wasted some time trying to you know memorize these huge volumes of books but again for step one you really need concise targeted reviews so um, that's how thankfully I did realize that early on and I used those resources and because basically uh, compared to my peers I probably didn't take as long to study and also most the way that my peers studied for step one is that they cut off everything they would just stay in a room for like five to six months, you know, no social context, just like doing nothing at all, no work, you know, food being brought to them, generally speaking. This is, this is how they studied. And uh, I obviously, you know, my husband's working, I had to manage the house, cook every day, whatever, clean, you're an adult, so you have to kind of manage this responsibility. It was, a, it was a bit different, it was a bit challenging. I kept comparing myself to my peers and thinking, oh, you know, they had it easier or whatever. And I think in this journey in particular, I think something that I still have to keep reminding myself is to not compare myself to anybody else because everybody has their own journey and it's unique and everybody has their own challenges that you may not see. They may not be visible to you. And it's very important to not be envious of other people, to not just com- not compare yourself to anybody else.
0: Yeah, I think that's really good advice. You know what's so interesting to me is that you come from a totally different background than most of the people. I guess all of the people that me and Michael have interacted with and in, including this podcast yet some of the concerns and the and the feelings and just the the experiences overall surrounding step 1 and just kind of this idea of comparison to your peers is just universal. You know those feelings that you have are they resonate with almost everybody we talk to. And I think that's a really interesting similarity and I think it really points to the fact that step one in this experience and getting into medicine and and pursuing your career is is stressful, no matter where you come from. And step one is an extremely brutal test, no matter whether you're from the United States or Pakistan. Everybody, you know, has to work really hard to do as well as you did. And most people don't get a score like you did. And since we're we're on this point, would you mind telling us what your what score you got, so our listeners can hear that?
1: So I got a 255. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, congratulations.
1: Thank you. I actually underperformed based on my test scores. So that's I mean, it's a, I know it's a great score and it sounds very ungrateful to even be saying it out loud, but you know, I was kind of expecting a few points higher based on my test scores. So again, I think after I came out of the test, kind of realized how Silly it is to base your entire self worth around this one test and around this one score, which is what I've been doing persistently over the years. I think medical students in general, you know, you're high achievers, you've always done well in school, you're the top in your school. And I know personally, I've always associated my self worth with doing well academically. And I thought, because I told myself this is the only thing I'm really good at. So if I was failing, if I wasn't getting good scores, and my NBMEs in the, in the start, I didn't really get very good scores. It was a complete and utter blow. uh, And it was very difficult to cope with.
2: Yeah. No, I think a lot of people probably feel similarly to you. We tend to base our, you know, like you're saying, our self-worth on how well we're doing, which can be depressing sometimes because medical school can be very challenging and step one is a very challenging test. So it's, it's probably not the healthiest thing in the world to do that, but it, you know, easier said than done. Right. So That's amazing. That's an awesome score. Let's take a step back now and maybe go from, you said you started studying in November, right? Yeah. So maybe we could go from November until up to the time you took your test and you can just kind of walk us through, you know, what that was like, uh, what were some of the resources you started to use? And then, you know, how did your study strategy evolve over the, over the few months that you were studying for step one?
1: So I read a lot of study guides by my peers, my seniors who had given steps and they got really good scores, like 260s, 272. And they were like, well, we studied like 14 hours a day. And that was my target initially. I was like, I have to. And I couldn't, I never once hit 14 hours a day. That was not possible for me. And I realized that very end because, and if it wasn't hitting like 14 hours a day, I kept telling myself, I'm not good enough. This isn't good. I think I was studying maybe around eight hours a day was a good day for me, maximum 11 hours a day. But I started, op- I opened up first aid and I, I started memorizing it initially, but that was, that is not a good, good st- strategy at all. I had done some Kaplan lectures in my final year, so I kind of went back to my notes in Kaplan. And, but again, Kaplan can be a bit too detailed, so it's, it's not a good idea to use that exclusively. But I found out a lot of resources and I'm, I found out about Anki flashcards that really helped me a lot. Personally, I had never heard of that before. So I went on Reddit and I downloaded a couple of decks and I started doing those as well. And then I used Sketchy, I used Osmosis and a lot of other resources. I'm very visually oriented. I'm primarily a visual learner. So I'm glad they have all these resources out there. I found Physio much later. I found it probably in the last one and a half to two months, but it was very vital because I hadn't really touched anatomy at all. And I was really glad to find something that kind of exclusively focused on the anatomy that you need to know for step one. So I used the entire anatomy section. I didn't have time for the biochem, the entire thing. So I just kind of did targeted sections of biochem, which was very helpful, actually.
2: Well, we're glad that uh, that you liked it and that you used it and that you found it helpful. That's awesome. So you mentioned a lot there. Those are a lot of resources. Let's kind of go through them and break them down. So you said that you started using first aid and you're reading it, but that was not helpful. Can you talk about that and say maybe, you know, why it wasn't helpful and your thoughts on that?
1: First aid is only useful if you've got all the background knowledge in the back of your mind, if you know exactly what it's talking about, because first aid is just the bare minimum. So trying to, unless you have like a superhuman memory, which I do, which I definitely did not, I definitely needed that background knowledge and the details. That's how I've always studied. I can't really study anything unless I know you know, everything about it. And that's just how I, I you know, work. Pathoma, I also used during my medical school. So i like done all the lectures. I didn't use the entire book on, on its own, but I kind of annotated things that I thought first aid was missing from Pathoma onto my first aid. Again, I think it's kind of important to have one concise area instead of Initially, I was doing like random books and I thought this, and then eventually I realized this is not at all efficient. You need to have all your notes in one place. So you're not spending time, you know, looking for your notes that are scattered all about the place. So I kind of, osmosis, you know, just, I started doing selective topics that I found were weak and I didn't understand. But I think personally, sketchy was a huge lifesaver for me. Because mnemonics are just amazing. There's no way I could have memorized. I've never... I don't think ever gone through all the bugs before my medical school I could never, you know, memorize all of them but this is this really enabled me to memorize all those details. I was almost in tears the first time I saw the first aid section of microbiology because I was like, how am I going to remember these tables? I'm terrible at that. There's no way. But sketchy really made it, um, you know, possible so I'm really grateful I found that resource.
2: Yeah. Now, I think that resonates with a lot of people. I felt similarly, you know, I think you open up first aid and it's just so overwhelming for the first time. It's like, do I really have to memorize all this? And as you, as you come through the pages, so much of it is just rote memorization and it can be brutal, especially, you know, like you say, the microbiology section can be pretty overwhelming. Now, I think what you're saying is totally true though. So first aid as a, kind of as a reference, I think is a, is a good idea. But to actually sit down and read it, I think is hard for a lot of students. And I think image mnemonics are amazing. And, you know, a lot of people use sketchy. I think that's a using an image mnemonic like that, I think is a great idea.
1: Yes. And then, of course, as UWorld, I didn't start UWorld as early as people told me to. The general consensus am- amongst IMGs is that you have to do UWorld twice, the entire thing. And you, the, you have to do it second time. At least you have to do it random. I did not do that, which is probably risky. I, the thing is, when I started doing New World in December, I wasn't getting good scores. And that was really demoralizing because I hadn't really gone through the subject matter thoroughly. So I probably started doing New World, I would say, maybe mid-January, maybe even later than that. I don't remember the exact date, but I did it topic-wise, like subject-wise, which is what everybody tells you not to do. But for me personally, that's what worked. And then I made notes of all the questions that I got wrong. And I made a Word document of that. And I got those printed out. And then I put them in my first aid. And my first aid kept getting larger and larger. And then I had to make several separate folders for my first aid with all my added notes in it. But I actually finished my first pass of first aid of UWorld, which was not random, but timed, in uh, the first week of April, so the same month as my test, which is probably insane if I told this to some other IMG. But after that, then I, I had a lot of marked questions. I marked questions very liberally because I knew that I wouldn't be able to go through the entire Q bank again. So I had a lot of marked questions. I think marked and um, incorrect combined were around eight hundred questions, which is a lot. So I kind of went through my incorrect questions random now, random timed, and then I went through maybe like. 500 or 400 of my marked questions. I still have like 300 questions left at the end. Personally, I feel like when you do, you roll twice the second time, you kind of already know the answer. So I don't know how useful that is, but people do do it. Some people do it even more than that.
2: Yeah,
0: I've heard that. I remember talking to our classmates and the students who went before us uh, the year ahead of me and Michael would say, go through it twice. You got to go through it twice. And And later on, I remember hearing more and more people say, kind of echoing what you just said that it's sometimes not as helpful you know so it's interesting that some people find it super useful and and other people like you did found it to almost be a waste of time because you're you're thinking oh I've kind of already done this you know I don't feel like I'm being quizzed so that's interesting so just to clarify you did UWorld you got through it completely once and you finished in the same month that you were to take step 1 and you did that on focused topics, not random, but all of your tests were timed. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Thankfully, I never had issues with time. Even in my actual step one exam, I was finishing blocks with 20 minutes to spare, like all of my blocks. And I think, honestly, um, that might have been why I scored a little lower than what I expected because my emphasis during when I was giving the test, I was constantly looking at the time and I was telling myself, I have to have 20 minutes at the end. To review my marked questions and then all of my questions. Actually, it's probably not necessary because there are questions you know you, you get right and you don't really need to go over them again and again. And I think part of my focus shifted from maybe the que- doing reading the questions carefully to making sure I had those 20 minutes at the end to go over all of my questions. So you know, I know people um, who write you know, scores in their 260s who write that they, they barely had time in the end to look over their marked questions. So I, I think, you know, reviewing your questions maybe isn't the best user for time in step one. You may, I think a lot of people change their correct answers to incorrect answers, which may have happened to me as well. I'm not entirely sure.
2: Yeah, I've heard that a lot, actually. I don't really have any research to back this up or any proof, but I've I've heard that, the second time often is when you switch from a correct answer to an incorrect answer. I believe UWorld actually has statistics on that. They can they can track that and tell you how often you do that. So you can probably get a sense of your ability to go from correct to incorrect or vice versa while taking UWorld if you want to track that. But it's something to think about. It's it's definitely interesting. Okay, so you used UWorld. That sounds like it. over time your score started to improve and you became more confident. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And before World, you know, you had mentioned First Aid back in November and Kaplan. And then you had also mentioned that you started using Anki. Can you talk to us more about that and what specific decks you were using? Did you make your own cards? Talk to us a little bit more about that.
1: So I didn't make my own cards. I definitely didn't have time for that. But an Anki, I didn't use the way most people use, you know, they do reviews every single day. And I didn't really use it like that. I used it to test myself on the sketchy sketches. Because I feel that that because the flashcards are in question forms, I feel like that's a really good way to retain answers rather than just passively reading things or just looking at the sketch or whatever. So I did the sketchy um, decks primarily. I didn't do Zanki. I know a lot of people do that, which is made from first aid, but I didn't have time. There are a lot of cards in that. I just did the sketchy decks and I did them several times just to kind of reinforce the sketchy concepts in my in my brain.
2: Okay. And what was the specific deck you used for that?
1: I believe it was called LOL, Not A Cop, perhaps. I'm not entirely... It was definitely from Reddit. There's several sketchy decks out there. It's one of those. I used two, I think. I kind of mixed things up. There are also sketchy path decks there. I used those as well, sketchy pathology decks.
2: Okay, gotcha. So did you use the, the sketchy micro, sketchy farm, and sketchy path, all three of those?
1: I used all three.
2: Okay. And can you talk to us about that? Did you feel like all three were really helpful? Was one more helpful than the others, or what are your thoughts?
1: I mean, Sketchy, uh, Micro, and Farm, I know everybody uses, and everybody pretty much agrees that they're pretty awesome. Sketchy Path, I know people have different views. I personally am very visually oriented, and I, I know Sketchy Path tends to have a very large amount of information in the same sketch and can be kind of overwhelming when you start out. But I do remember images well, and I, and I think it was the best way for me to learn things. Especially things like tumors, which I never, you know, brain tumors things like that, which I could never ever, I would learn them. And then I knew I would forget at a later time. So things like that definitely helped me some for the hematology oncology. I didn't really use the sketchy path quite so much, but for the other subjects I did.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I think the general consensus from, from what we've heard is that, you know, a lot of people love the, the microbiology aspect and a lot of people also enjoy the farm, probably not quite as much. And then not as many people enjoy the path but it's interesting to hear your perspective and how you used it
1: basically a memorization tool it's not um, there to you know explain things at all so if you if you've done Pathoma, you've done first aid and everything you have the concepts down for me it's just about memorization it's learning the every bit of fact that's out there so if you're good at you know doing that from the book from first aid then go ahead but for me that was the best way to learn fat, that many facts in a very short amount of time.
2: Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so first aid, Kaplan, then you used, you used Anki, started you know, reviewing all the sketchy stuff. You had mentioned osmosis earlier. Were there any other resources that you used?
1: Um. Yes. Uh, so I found this other website, and they have a mnemonics, primarily biochem mnemonics. It's called Pixarize. It's a relatively new website. They're not super high quality mnemonics. I think there's probably one person who draws them on paint or something, like the windows paint. But they did help me with, you know, with biochem, there are lots of random diseases like the hypercholesterolemias and all of those. So just kind of, it did help me. I relied far too much on mnemonics, to be honest. Probably people don't do that. But for me, I had to memorize a lot of information in a very short amount of time. So for me, that was the best way to go about it.
2: Yeah, I think you got, you know, you have to find what works for you. And if that works for you, then you stick with it. Yeah, and, and you know we've
0: noticed that a lot of the biochemistry stuff, some of it's so conceptual, and you just gotta kind of understand the processes, and then some of it is just really memorization heavy, and so products like Pixarize people find really useful, and you know, and that, that's kind of the spirit that me and Michael have really taken with uh, with our biochemistry, recognizing you know some of it's conceptual, some of it's memorization, and so it might have come out a little bit too late for you to use it, but we've got all of that in hours. So it's just funny that uh, you found our anatomy resource super useful and didn't uh, weren't able to take advantage of a lot of the mnemonics we had in our biochemistry section.
1: I did use a few of the biochem because I was really struggling to understand the fatty acid metabolism and I thought Physio did such an excellent job honestly. So I printed all the notes out and I used those. It was very useful for me because I I used a lot of resources to try and understand that, but I feel like Physio definitely did the best job of simplifying everything and giving you the high-yield stuff.
2: Great to hear. We appreciate it. I'm glad it was helpful. Okay, so it's, it seems like we kind of hashed out most of the resources you used. You talked about UWorld a little bit during Dedicated. Did you also use NBMEs during that time?
1: Yes, I did. I did my first NBME in February, I believe. It was the end, end of February, yes. And then my second was a month later, at the end of March. And then the rest were all in in, in April.
2: Okay, and so did you take all
1: of the MBMEs? I did take all of the ones that were available. I didn't take the new ones. The new ones that were added, the twenty twenty one, twenty two, 22, I didn't take those, but I took uh, up, um, the ones up till 19.
2: Okay, and can you walk us through that, what that was like for you, maybe how your scores kind of changed over time or if they did change?
1: So my first one, which was in, in February was in 230s. I was pretty disappointed. But I did it very casually and I hadn't gone through the entire subject matter at the time. So I gave myself some allowance. The second one, which was a month later, was also in the 230s. So that was very frightening for me because I had like less than a month left. And I had basically I felt I hadn't improved at all in one month, which is very frightening. But I also went to Vegas in that time and I had some family commitments. So <laughs> That probably accounted for it. And also the first two NBMEs I was doing very casually. You know, I wasn't reviewing anything. I didn't really mark anything. And the subsequent ones I definitely did with my full focus. I did my third one at the end, in the start of April. And that was a two, I believe a 255. So that was like a huge, you know, uh, relief. I had less than a month left in my exam. I also used, signed up for the AMBOSS um, self-assessment, step one. They were giving away this free self-assessment. So I gave that and I got, I gave that soon after my third NBME and I got like a 270 on it. That was a 99th percentile. So I was, I think that definitely over-predicted me considerably, but it was definitely very reassuring at that point because I was starting to lose hope.
0: (laughs) So confidence boost, if nothing else.
1: Exactly. And they have some good questions. I think Amboss is definitely an emerging resource. It won't replace UWorld, but if you have the time, I think the more questions you do, the better it is. And then the the last, that was NVMe, I believe. I had 17, 18, and 19 left. So um, two of those I combined with UWorld essays to kind of simulate the exam day. And one of them I just gave separately. So And they were, um, NVMe 19 tends to underpredict, so I got a 252 on that. And 17 was the 263, and then... I believe now NBME 18 was a 257 and my U-World essays were 273 and 266. So I know U-World essays tend to overpredict. So kind of like that.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. So it sounds like U-World overpredicted AMBOSS or the U-World assessment overpredicted AMBOSS overpredicted a little bit. But overall, it sounds like your your NBMEs that were close to your exam were probably most predictive of your actual score. Would you say that's fair?
1: I think I underperformed based on my test scores because my last two NBMEs were 263 and 257. I know it's not a huge, it's not by a huge amount. And on the test day, there is a certain element of luck to this exam. And I think you can deny that unless you're like a superhuman genius and the normal laws of physics don't apply to you. But for someone like me, I know there is definitely an element of luck. You may not read a question thoroughly. And also another thing that I feel like the exam questions tend to be more straightforward and you will kind of trains you to overthink and second guess yourself. Whereas the exam questions are generally straightforward. And when you go into that habit of second guessing yourself, you can get questions wrong.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting idea. I remember having similar thoughts when I was taking UWorld and then I would go into an MBA and I'd be like, wait a minute, this seems really straightforward. Are you messing with me? <laughs> like, it's just kind of like this internal, internal dialogue of me struggling. Like, is this a trick question or not? So that's funny.
0: I remember back when uh, we were probably second years at the time, Michael, but classmates ahead of us saying, do your world, like, make sure you get it all done and just dominate it. That's going to increase your score the most. But right before you take the test, spend a lot of time just going through the first aid bank to just normalize yourself a little bit so you don't think you're getting tricked all the time and that way you'll do better on on step 1. It was just an interesting theory that kind of points to that fact that you're talking about that you know you can you can really second guess get second guess yourself if you're so used to the way that UWorld quizzes you.
1: Yes, and I feel like a lot of people say that the exam was most similar to the UWorld essays. I personally felt that it was not at all similar. I think it's most similar to the free 120 questions that you can find on the NMEme website.
2: Oh, interesting. The, the free questions, is that what yes, you said? Yeah,
1: I feel like it's most similar to that.
2: Well, I mean, overall, it sounds like your experience went well. You say you underperformed a little bit, but that's still an amazing score. And, uh, you know, congratulations. I think you worked really hard. I think you did a lot of things right. And I think our, our users have a lot to learn from your experience. Thank you. Before we let you go, is there any last parting words of advice that you'd like to give for a medical student, perhaps an international Medical graduate who wants to come here, or a US studying for Step One.
1: I think my advice would probably be to to not compare yourself to other people, and I think just be just be focused on your own self improvement. Because I think I, I went on Reddit Reddit a bit too much during my my whole um, study period, and I think when you read, you know, experiences from people who may have practice scores lower than you but end up over-performing, I think you may set yourself up for unrealistic expectations. I think it's important to ground yourself just to kind of accept that there may be a certain degree of, you know, luck or something may happen on the test day and you may not perform as well as you want to. But just, you know, focus on getting. I think during this whole process, it's important to remember that we're learning these facts for our patients. It's not just for this test to perform well on this test. It's so that ultimately when we need to utilize this information in the clinical environment, we remember the important stuff. So it's kind of important to remember the end point. We often tend to forget that.
2: Yeah, I totally resonate with that. I think a lot of our listeners do as well. So sometimes it can be hard in, in this field to not compare yourself to others, but I think that's super important. If you can manage to do that, I think you'll be a lot healthier emotionally and then, uh, you know, just overall, I, I think your experiences are, are really helpful for our, for our listeners. And we appreciate your advice. And we uh, really appreciate your your time and for coming on the show. So thanks, Sonia.
1: Thank you so much.
2: Hey,
0: everyone, thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to go to our website at physio.com to check out our growing library of free step one videos. You can also find our physio group on Facebook to join our growing community of students preparing for step one. If you've been enjoying the episodes and have been getting value from the content, here are three easy ways that you can support us. One, press the subscribe button on the platform you're listening to this on. Two, leave us a review. To do that, just go to physio.com slash podcast. Three, find your friends who are in medical school or interested in medical school and tell them about the podcast. Thanks for listening and join us next time.